where you going? No, man, you got the right classroom. Come on in, take a seat beside me, my friend. Hey, look, here come T.A. Charlie. Let's see what he got to say. Oh, my. Let's see here. Morning. Uh, you're watching the Road to Concord. It's with a Professor backwards day. Joe Charlie is Joe. Joe is Charlie, and the AI is still a furry. <laughs> Homeroom is on Rumble. You just go to Rumble and search the channels for the Road to Concord. It's one word. When you find it, you go ahead and you click follow. It might mean you got to set up an account, but it's fast. It's easy. It's free. I did it. You can do it. For those technologically challenged members of the class, you can also catch us on Facebook, Twitch, TwitX, whatever it is, and um, YouTube. Then you can catch the podcast after the show. It's uploaded to Podbean, iHeartRadio, and Spotify, and eventually BitChute. Just look for The Road to Concord. You can go to the blog page. That's roadtoconcord.com. That's where where, where you will find all your show notes, study notes, and handouts for the class. Finally, you can email a professor at joe at the road to concord. I'm caught up. He's caught up. Mm-hmm. Did, did you answer that one that was still unread in there? In, yeah. In, oh, okay. Sign of the apocalypse. Oh, my. Well, anyway, he does email you back eventually, but I guess he says he's caught up, so maybe he is. I don't see if any. If he's not, ones. send him oh. another email reminder and say, no, you lied to us. But anyway, if you find our classes helpful to you, Please click hey, the thumbs up. That one just like, showed up. Subscribe. I haven't had a chance to answer that one. Well, then see, I t- you lied. The class is sending emails in the middle of the intro. How am I supposed to? Well, you know. Liar. Yeah. That's the way it goes. All right. Anyway, yeah. Thumbs up, like, subscribe, share, and all that stuff to anyone you think might benefit from it. But just warn them. Joe and Charlie. <laughs> Our acquired tastes. So anyway, oh, I got my somehow my. Hey, we all know T. A. Charlie is. We're having some technical problems today because Charlie's trying to be Joe and Joe's trying to be Charlie. It's it's a weird day here in studio. But we each independently form opinions based on reason and logic. We're free thinkers. Let's see what the road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic has on the lesson plan for today. Today? Oh, that's easy. We're going to have the scriptural version of taste great, less filling. <laughs> um, I'm going to set this up. We're going to get serious now. Uh, before I hand over to Charlie, Charlie is going to be handling the first part of the show today. When he gets done, we'll take our break, wherever that is. Hopefully, Charlie can get it done in at least an hour, but you know, wherever it is, we'll take our break. But this is a subject that if you were raised... In the Catholic or Protestant church, and you never really studied the Old Testament, you probably don't know a whole lot about today. We're going to start with the Hebrew calendar. And if you're not aware of the Masonic community, you have no idea what type of a problem this can get into. Um, this is this is the equivalent of believers going at each other fist to cuff. And I do know people who will no longer break bread together because of this issue. Yes. And it's kind of, in my opinion, it's kind of, yeah, sad. As Charlie will show you, that's because there's probably no resolution. But the first part of this show is about how to set the calendar. And the second part of the show will be about the feasts. So why do we start with the calendar? Because if you don't set the calendar properly, the feasts are out of order. And that's a big deal. At least it used to be before the church changed things. So for a lot of you, this is going to be new material. 
And for a lot of you, it won't make a whole lot of sense at first. Just sit back, hang with us. If you've got questions, I'll be monitoring your board. I'm Please. Charlie and Natasha's here. And with that, Charlie is going to take it away. Questions, comments, uh, feedback. I'm looking for this because I'm also going to be doing this again on Shabbat for our local congregation. And trust me, he might catch some <laughs> rotten fruit and tomatoes in that case. Uh, yeah, this is not... <laughs> This is not uh, one for, uh, uh, you know. Charlie is grabbing a third rail. Yes, it is. But let me start by just saying that uh, uh, since I came out of uh, the traditional church, as we call it, um, the calendar has been an issue to me. I thought I had it settled at one point, and then I had some additional information provided to me, and then it. It's like, nope, that ain't right. Something's wrong here. And recently, about three months ago, uh, something happened within our congregation that kind of got my ire up. Jimmy, I, I know how that works. <laughs> and so I set off on a more diligent and focused search to try to see if I could solve this problem. Um. Well, you'll see as we go through the presentation that I didn't solve anything, but I do have some recommendations and some insight into it. Um, and you'll just see as we go along. But anyway, that's just a little intro. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw this up here and then I'm going to boot this out so you can see this better because some of this, I, I, some of my slides get a little wordy. Um, so uh, we're going to do this uh, full screen. Yeah, and folks, just so that you know, if you don't understand what all is on his slides, it's okay. The slides were written for people who already know that about this debate. So, yes, but but if you have questions about this, yeah, please feel free to please post bring it. them in because yes, this is something that that unless you've been in the um, uh, in the way, I'll call it the way because that's what I call it mm -hmm. uh, for a while. This is something you are familiar with, and you're well familiar with the debate. But anyway, this is talking about the biblical calendar, and more specifically, when should we observe the Feasts of Yahweh? And Joe is going to go into more detail on what the Feasts of Yahweh are in our second hour. Let's see here. Does this work? Good. Okay. There you go. <clears throat> All right. Now, as I said, this presentation is not going to solve anything. <laughs> Uh, this is just information that I have put together from my personal research. So this is this is going to be my opinion, and you know how opinions are. Um, but I am, as best I can, bringing in biblical references, other extra biblical sources to kind of support different uh, ways of looking at this. And, you know, I do have a recommendation later on, on what I would recommend people do, but Again, it's not my decision. Um, <clears throat> this, um, I I'm just giving you a, a high-level overview of this topic as well. If you want more information on our show notes, I've got my research notes out there. Now, these yeah, are they're my, posted on the homework. Yeah, today. these are my personal research notes, so they may not make sense to everybody and, and such. There's lots of random links and things in there, but these are the a lot of the resources that I found helpful as I was trying to boil this down to what exactly is the problem here? What can we 
discover how can we decide what to do. And this last sentence here, or, or bullet, is just about how we're going to handle this within our congregation, because I'm going to present this in a uh, Shabbat school teaching, uh, this Shabbat, I believe. Yep. And um, then we'll have the elders get together and meet and you know, decide if they want to do what I'm recommending or something a little bit different and um, those kind of things. Um, <clears throat> uh, Road Dog, yes. Uh, can you? I'm answering hey, him. Hey, Charlie, can you throw that up there when you get a oh, chance? Oh, I can do that. <laughs> I see what you want. You want me to bring that over for you? Yeah. <laughs> well, you didn't say that. We, we have Charlie in training. <laughs> there we go. Because this is actually a good question, kind of a good good place for it, too. Was the Hebrew calendar created when the Ten Commandments came to pass? Yes and no. Um, and you'll, you'll see as we get there, um, I believe that some of the feasts were probably actually perhaps even uh, recognized prior to the Exodus, but they were not codified within our scriptures until after the Exodus. Yeah, so scripture so it's kind of one of those, yeah, yeah kind of maybe, but I think there at least was some indication of these things even prior to it. But the scriptures are not uh, very clear on that. Folks, if you're looking for a lot of hard answers today, you ain't going to get them because all we got to no. do is throw this subject in the lot and shake well, and the rabbis will even go at each other over it. Yeah. So. So. All right, AI. <laughs> I'm the OC today. All right, stay on target. Charlie's got Charlie's got 50 minutes to make 24 more slides. That's good. That's good. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> and this is kind of where Road Dog was going already. In the beginning, you can see even back as far as Genesis uh, with Adam and, and his uh, uh, sons that they were they were offering sacrifices and per perhaps even. Uh, first fruit offerings. And that's kind of what um, precipitated the, uh, the problems between uh, Cain and Abel. Uh, because, you know, Abel's sacrifice was accepted and Cain's was not. And, you know, there's, you know, scholarly discussion about what that all is all about. But that's for another show. But the feasts that we're going to be talking about today were not really codified until after the exodus from Egypt. And you'll find those in, uh, specifically in Leviticus 23 is a good summary of those. Uh, but you'll find them throughout the uh, Pentateuch. Yeah, we'll discuss those in a little bit. <clears throat> now, um, another point is there's scholarly debate about the keeping of the feast during the 40-year wandering in the wilderness. Um, the scriptures are pretty much silent with the exception of keeping the Passover in the second year, the, the year following the actual uh, Passover and, and the uh, exodus from Egypt. And it's not mentioned again until the entering of the land uh, when Joshua uh, crossed over the Jordan uh, River and uh, went into the promised land. So the scriptures are silent. So there's scholarly debate about whether they did this or not, because, you know, the command was to do this, you know, uh, throughout your generations, but there's more. That's another show we could possibly do. Now, this one, <clears throat> again, this is just throwing this out there for some perspective on where we're at in the timeline of biblical prophecy. Um, do we really keep the feasts? Um, 
and this can become uh, part of the debate that you'll see within um, just generically, they, they call it the Hebrew Roots community, that um, the biblical calendar debate, it, sometimes it gets pretty heated as we've, we've talked about. And um, some people can get very legalistic about this. Uh, some people will even tell you that if you don't keep the, the feasts on the days that they say that, you know, is correct according to the calendar model that they use, that you're committing a sin and it it's, could affect your salvation. Yeah, it gets crazy. Uh, so it's, you know, people get really, really, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Heated. Yeah, yeah, heated, I guess. I'm, there's another word in my mind, but it ain't coming up, so that'll work. <clears throat> now, um, to me, there's a few problems with looking at it from this perspective, because right now we have no physical temple, uh, so we can't even present the sacrifices according to the way they were outlined by Moshe in the Pentateuch. Um, <clears throat> uh, there is no active Levitical priesthood to properly perform the sacrifices because, you know, that's the way Yahweh says, if, if you're not a Levitical priest, look out, you know. Uh, and also no high priesthood from the lineage of Aharon. Um, Aaron, for those of you yes. who don't speak Hebrew. Yeah. Well, it's his name. But anyway, uh, <laughs> without access to the ephod, Urim, and Thummim, if you don't know what those things are, those were instruments that were used by the high priest to receive direct communications from Yahweh. At least that's the way that scholars think it may have happened. So we don't have that direct uh, link there either. So... Um, in my assessment, then, it's kind of impossible for us to keep the Feast of Yahweh as they were originally presented to Moses. We can only simply memorialize them. Yep. Okay. Fly on the ointment. Okay, go ahead. The, the New Testament says that when two or more are gathered in his name, that's the temple now. And there was a change in the Levitical priesthood to that of Melchizedek, or however you want to pronounce it. And then when it says we don't, have an intercessor that's the messiah he's our interceder he's our high priest and we receive communications from yahweh directly through the holy spirit now so how's that work into this situation you're right see folks this is what we mean by <laughs> this one's complicated and therein lies the problem and, and i would i would argue in in the uh you know in defense of my position show me Ooh. We're not where, saying you're wrong, Charlie. Says, I'll, I'll, know, I'm know, just throwing a fly I, I, in the ointment. Yeah, I'm just I'm just throwing this out. I, my my question back to you would be, okay, show me where we have instructions on how we're supposed to keep the feast from the spiritual perspective, if you will, uh, using the Melchizedek priesthood and so on and so forth. Uh, you're not going to find that either. You can Israel. So. Yes, that that's Wrestle what you have to Yahweh. do. Yes, and that and that's what I was going to say is we have to walk by faith, and we have to work this out the best we can with the information we've give been given, and you know, and you'll find out as I go right. through this. Let uh, me get out of your way, Charlie, because part is, of your practice here is to make sure you can put this in in an hour. So. Yeah, yeah but, <laughs> I'm out but, of the way. But anyway, this that that's one of the things that uh, you know you're going to see as we go through here that I think 
some of this is intentional by Yahweh. Yeah, you'll get to that. All right, so what is the actual source of the controversy? Because one of the things as I was studying this, I'm like, is there some basic things that kind of are, you know, boiling it down to what is really the problem that we're dealing with? And I found two things. The first is, when does a month begin? Now, you'll, you'll see as we go on through the presentation that the biblical calendar, as best we can understand from the clues from the scripture, is what I would call a lunar solar calendar. Um, and so they determine the months kind of like the Native Americans did. You know, they look at the new moon, you know, and, uh, and that's how they determine the month. They, they go by the lunar uh, months. Uh, so then, again, you have another question under that is, what begins a month? Is it at the lunar conjunction? Which, which when is there's no moon in the sky. Which is an astronomical term. Yeah, there's no moon. The you new don't month. see anything. If, if you look at a, a calendar today that has the lunar uh, cycles on it, they will say new moon. And that is what would be the conjunction here uh, where there is no moon visible in the sky. Or, in this is supported in some rabbinical writings uh, at the sighting of the first sliver of the new moon. That's when you can first visibly see uh, the new moon after the conjunction. So there's a little bit of a debate on, you know, when does a month begin? Because that can affect, because some of the feasts, there, there is one feast, the, the Feast of Trumpets, that falls on a new moon. So if you believe that it's based on the conjunction, then the moon would be, or the month would be one to three days, well, two to three days earlier than the people that believe that it's the first sliver yeah. of the new moon. So you've got some variance there. Uh, and that one, I think, is more of a minor thing, in, in my view, anyway. But the bigger issue is when do you insert an intercalary month? Now, I'll explain what that is a little bit later here, but Thirteenth uh, month. Yes, it's a thirteenth month, month. And, and I'll explain what what all that is here in a little bit. But there's different ways of doing this. Uh, one is based on Aviv barley. That is a again, I'll define these terms in, in the Bible. It's been the barley bowls, but but that is a biblical term. And uh, another way is based on the full moon following the spring equinox. Uh, some follow. Uh, it's based on the first sliver of the new moon following the spring equinox, uh, based on heliacal rising of constellations, because the stars have an annual cycle and they uh, progress through the sky, uh, or using a combination of some of the above. So here's where the, the brunt of the issue is. And so now we have to search for bi biblical support that will tell us which one of these methods or something else that we should be looking at. Therein lies the bigger problem. Yeah, because the Bible's not clear. So, as I was talking, what is a lunar month? A lunar month is the time it takes the moon to complete one orbit around the Earth. And this takes about 29 and a half days on average. It changes each month because the orbit is elliptical. So, it changes a little bit each month, and but on average, about 29 and a, and a half days. 
which guaranteed, since it was 21, 29 and a half days, Charlie, it guaranteed that eventually, over time, man was going to lose track of the calendar. Yes. Guaranteed. Yes. And, and there are some people that believe that prior to the flood, it may have been actually 30 days and yeah, blah, blah, but, blah. And that comes into bringing into the book of Enoch and stuff. Yeah, there, this gets We're in not going deep. into Enoch. <laughs> yeah, this, this gets deep. That's why I'm, you know, this, like I said, this is a, you know, 100,000 foot uh, view of this. Um, and the, like I said, the, the two methods that I mentioned earlier are how we de can determine the, the uh, uh, beginning of the month. The conjunction, which is a calculated astronomical new moon, uh, we can uh, calculate this. Even in, in old times, they were able to calculate this. There's, there are mathematical equations that you can do this. Or the sighting of the first sliver of the renewed moon, uh, which is a physical uh, sighting by naked eye. All right, so conjunction, um, like we've been talking about, this is when the moon is totally dark, cannot be seen by the naked eye. Um, now, for those people object to this uh, on two counts, um, some people say that it, it begins in darkness and, you know, darkness that, you know, related to sin or whatever and things like that. So it can't be. But then again, I can show biblical support that shows that if you go back to the original creation account, uh, the creation of the world began in darkness. Patterns. And then, you know, there was light. So there again, and, and you'll see what happens when we get to the other one here. Uh, and it must be calculated, cannot be physically observed. And, um, you know, you yeah, but it's Charlie, it's the only one where there's actually two days that it can be happening. The sliver shows up on the first day, whether you can see it or not, it shows up the conjunction. There's a two day period where it's dark. And, and we know that there's usually that in the scriptures, there's that two day period of uncertainty. Right. I mean, and, and that's, that's where so, this I mean, gets confusing in yeah. the scriptures because there are, uh, new moon festivals, uh, or observances, whatever you want to call them that are, are mentioned in the scriptures and generally they are two to three day uh feasts so what does that mean uh does it mean that they were observing the conjunction and they were just doing it until they saw the sliver because they didn't know exactly when it was or did they know when the conjunction was and they're just waiting for the sliver to confirm that the conjunction yeah, did happen see they're covering yeah, their bases that's it, the legalism you know, of the hebrew mindset there's so many ways of looking at this you you cannot resolve this by looking scriptures at aren't going to help scriptural you with evidence. All right. Sorry about that. All right. Then the physical sighting of the renewed moon. Um, and now there's, there's no direct, like, like we were just saying, there's no direct biblical support for physically observing the new moon, but the new moon is mentioned over 15 times in the Bible. Um, and there are rabbinical writings that contain detailed instructions for how they would actually determine the beginning of the month by the sighting of the renewed moon. Uh, you can find that in the Talmud and the Mishnah. Uh, if you go to my notes, I've got some more precise references. Um, now, some, again, use the scriptures to support this by uh, pointing to John, where you know it talks about Messiah is the light of the world, and and so we we look to the sliver of the moon representing the the return of the messiah and and therefore you know uh, as opposed to the 
you know, beginning in darkness approach. So if you see, you can see where you can support scripturally either way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why this is uh, a bit, uh, you know, controversial. Another uh, problem with this uh, uh, approach is atmospheric weather can uh, affect the accuracy of this observation. If, if it's cloudy during the day of the first liver, you don't know when it actually happened. Um, this, the, it can be used anywhere though, uh, and you don't need any technology. All you need to do is go look up in the sky, you know, just shortly after sunset. Uh, but the timing of this can vary by location because of the different time zones and so on and so forth. Uh, so many people believe that this has to be cited from uh, Yerushalayim and Yisrael um, to... Uh, That's Jerusalem you know, for some yeah, of you. Jerusalem, yeah. Sorry. That's all right. Um, <clears throat> and again, you know, they have the same problems with weather conditions and so on and so forth. And in the desert, it doesn't have to be clouds. It can be haze yes. and it can be dust storms. That dust storms, yes. All right. So here we are, lunar solar calendar. And like we were talking about earlier, a lunar month can be 29 or 30 days. And many times the, the months will alternate between these two lengths um, as the uh, you know orbit of the moon varies a little bit here and there because of its elliptical order orbit. And so that means that the strictly lunar year is about 11 to 12 days shorter than a solar year. Because it's shorter than a solar year, uh, you have a problem with regression. That uh, if you just did a strictly lunar calendar, which, by the way, uh, Islam uses a calendar like this for their... Uh, which is why Rosh Hashanah thing, bounces all which, over the which place. Which their, um, um, what is it, Ramadan or whatever... I mean, not Rosh Hashanah, excuse me, Ramadan. Yeah, Yeah, my my bad. It's an R word. Yeah, that's okay. Um, So, but the feasts are tied to agricultural um, um, aspects. Basically, the the ripening of the fruit is predominantly what what drives most of these feasts. Um, So, adjustments have to be made to keep these feast within the appropriate agricultural season. Oh, teach. Yes. This this is another one where folks, this is part of the big this is part of the problem. Is that the agricultural cycle doesn't always line up with the with the solar cycle. Astronomical, right. So the solar spring you know that happens at the equinox. Well, if you've ever grown anything, you know sometimes spring comes early, spring comes late. That's going to be the agricultural spring, you know, what nature's doing. They don't always line up with each other. Right. which causes a big problem because if you're agri-agrarian agri- or agriculture-based, spring is whenever the heck the weather, you know, the rain starts and the weather gets warm. And it doesn't matter where the sun's at in the solar cycle. But to really legalistic people, I have to know that it's in spring and spring's been defined by the equinox and blah, 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 blah. So off we go to the fights again. Um, sorry about that, Charlie. No, no, that's fine. That's where this that, comes that, from, yeah. part of where this comes from. And that And that's... <laughs> Again, these are these are aspects of this that that fuel the controversy surrounding this this uh, topic. Now, if you if you have a lunar solar calendar, if you do the math, there's there you you will see uh, a metonic cycle is what they call it. It's a 19 year cycle that uh, if you go through 19 years, then 
the moon and and the calendar kind of line back up again every 19 years is basically what this metonic cycle is and within this cycle um you know you'll have we have you know in our normal um gregorian calendar we have 12 months in a year well in a lunar solar calendar you have uh uh seven months that actually have 13 months so we and that's called an intercalated month and so seven times within this 19 year cycle you're going to have 13 months uh and the rest of the uh, months will have 12. i mean the rest of the years will have 12 months so that uh that's how this kind of works uh more scientifically or mathematically however you want to discuss that yeah, you're, you're getting into a lot of math here. Yes, yes. That, that, no that's worries. why I'm trying to keep this yeah, we'll as forward. high level as I can. If you want to get deep into the math, you can do that. Uh, just just Google or however you search, DuckDuckGo, Metonic Cycle, and, and good luck. Good luck with your math. <clears throat> um, so, like, again, seven, seven of the 19 years require the intercalation of in a, month, a, a month to align it, the lunar calendar that's to the solar calendar. That's a fancy way of saying insertion. Yes. Yeah, big word. <laughs> um, so here's the question. How do we decide when to intercalate a month or add a month? Um, and we talked previously about some of these methods, the Aviv barley, and I'll talk about how that works, the full moon following the spring equinox, the first sliver of the new moon following the spring equinox, and heliacal uh, rising and setting of the stars and or constellations. So we're going to look at those in a little bit more depth. Okay, so Aviv Barley. Um, this method actually does have some biblical support. Aviv is mentioned eight times within the Pentateuch. Uh, most of the references merely provide the name for the first month. They call the first month of the year Aviv. Uh, so those aren't super helpful. But there are two references that give some indication that there, uh, the that Aviv is an agricultural term for a stage of the ripeness of the barley. For instance, uh, when when Pharaoh uh, we, the, the uh, uh, blows against uh, Egypt were happening, it said that you know the barley was wiped out because it was it was in Aviv, and but the wheat was not affected because it wasn't ripe enough yet. Um, and there's another reference in there. I forget exactly which that one is, but I've got the references here up here. There's one in Exodus. That's the one I'm talking about. And there's one in Leviticus that talks about the uh, uh, it referring to the ripeness of the barley. The Karaite Jewish community. Uh, let me explain what a Karaite Jew is. A Karaite Jew is one that does not follow the rabbinical teaching. They do not follow the Talmud or the Mishnah and, and that kind of stuff. They they believe strictly in what is written in the Tanakh or, or the Old Testament is what we would refer to it as. They basically are the ones driving this approach. And they, you know, they actually go out uh, uh, at the end of the year and start searching for barley throughout Israel. And they, they give reports of, of the uh, status of where the barley is and its ripeness. All right, so all right, pros and cons. Uh, like I said earlier, there is some biblical support for the Aviv uh, 
and it is tied to the agricultural aspect of the feast. Like I said, you know, uh, for instance, what what drives the, the Aviv barley is the feast of first fruits, because at that point they were commanded at, at the original, uh, you know, feast that, that Moshe uh, codified in the um, Pentateuch that uh, you would bring a the first fruits of the barley harvest to the temple and you would make a little cake or whatever it was it had to be at least ripe enough to parch in fire and you know make this offering uh to yahweh so that's that's why this is tied to that agricultural aspect um and again it also has support from rabbinical writings uh there's one more direct one the sanhedrin 11b uh, talks about uh, the Aviv. Now, what are some cons? Uh, this is limited to observation in the land of Yisrael only. If you do not have access to the land of Yisrael, you're not going to be able to do this very well. Uh, this is what drove changes later on as you look through through the uh, biblical writings and, and the Talmud and so on and so forth. When they were exiled to Babylon and such, they did not have access to the land, so they couldn't really do it this way if, if this was the original approach, which is what the Karaites uh, purport. Uh, another problem we have, especially today, it may not have been a problem anciently, but today we have many different varieties of barley uh, which have different germination and maturation times. So which ones do you use? You know, there are some that say, well, you got to, go back to the you know three-headed barley or whatever and two or two-headed barley you know there it gets into you know all that um, another problem is the state of barley maturation is subjective uh, you know I did say that it, there were some indications from the Bible that talked about Aviv being a you know indication of the ripeness of the barley but that it didn't give specifics it didn't say well you look for this specific thing about the uh, barley head and this determines when it's what you would call aviv um, so we don't know what that actually is um, and another problem is well barley you know is i've seen these barley reports over the years because i used to follow this this method sometimes you've got some fields that had some aviv barley and others that did not so the question then becomes how much barley must be sufficiently mature uh you know if you go back to again tying this to the first fruits offering you know how much barley was required to actually create this first fruit offering um, that's not fully outlined um, so we need to know uh, what that is uh, again Another problem is the location of the barley fields in Israel a factor. So there are some that say, well, you can only look at barley in Jerusalem, uh, you know, that's nearby the temple uh, because barley ripens at different times within Israel because you've got different environmental conditions. Like down in, in Galilee, it tends to ripen earlier than in the Jerusalem area. So these are all, you know, things that uh, come into consideration. Okay, full moon following the spring equinox. Um, this method states that Passover is 
held basically on the first full moon following the spring equinox. Now I'm making some assumptions here and and I'm 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 fudging with the math just a little bit with this, but it it works and it does make it simpler. If you want to get real specific about this, you have to count from the first day and and everything, but I'm not going to get into those mathematical calculations here. Um, this is a fully calculated calendar, and this is, uh, there, there's two calendars that will actually be using this that we'll talk about in more detail later on, but this is the basis of the Hillel 2 calendar, which is what you're probably more familiar with, the, the calendar that the modern Jews use today. Now, uh, again, oh, we have pros and cons for this approach as well. Uh, pros, it, it is a very accurate calendar. It's uh, accurate to within about a day per century. Uh, this can be applied anywhere throughout the world. Um, and this one's fairly obtainable as long as we have some kind of communications because, you know, the, the Jewish community, they post their uh, aspect of this. Yes. I was told I have to raise my hand by a classmate. I'm not supposed to interrupt your teaching. So <laughs> you left out a pro. I did. It seems to be that the Shemitahs and the events in Jonathan Khan's Oracle line up with this calendar too. Others as well, but yes. And, and, and let me, let me, okay. Since you, since you opened up that rabbit, let me go there for a second. Just keep an eye on your time boss. Yes. Uh, I'm not worried as much about time as I am covering the stuff. I got you. Uh, <clears throat> okay. So yes, I did an in-depth deep dive into this because I was hoping to be able to find a smoking gun that I could say, okay, I have enough even circumstantial evidence that I can say, you know, pretty convincingly where I could convince a jury of my peers that this particular approach is the calendar you should use. And I did look at Jonathan Kahn's work. Uh, if you're not familiar with those, uh, it, yeah, go look at them. Uh, the Oracle, um, the Shemitah. Um, those are the big two. Those are the two big ones. There's some other ones that, that he uh, ties some of the modern day happenings to the um, the feasts and, and appointed times. And he is using the rabbinic calendar. I went and I checked every one of those days that I had information on. And they, they do line up, just like he says in his books. But the problem is, is it, you know, people get so, so out of sorts over this calendar issue. But the problem is, is that in many years, all the calendars I'm going to talk to you about later line up. There are about every two to three years, one of the four calendars I'm going to um, discuss later on in the presentation will be either earlier or later than the other calendars. So, you know, even then there's not there's not a lot of variance here, but it's enough that people get out of sorts about it. Uh, so, yeah, I, I I was hoping that that would be a smoking gun, but unfortunately I did not find that. You know, maybe as we get more information, maybe something will happen that we can tie to it and we can conclusively, uh, you know, eliminate one or more of these calendars. But so far, haven't been able to do it. Yes, sir since i started this did you also look at the um tetrads 
that happened on the feasts over the last 2,000 years? Yes, I have. Those also fell on conjunction calendars, didn't they? Yes, yes. Figures. Yeah. Yahweh's being deliberately obtuse. Uh, yes, we'll get to that too. <laughs> okay, so um, let's see, where were we? Let's see, uh, we talked about that. Um, and okay, um, Khan, um, okay, it's, uh, oh, that, that, oh, this one isn't my most updated presentation. It's got 26 perhaps. slides. Well, fill yeah. it in. But anyway, but anyway, because, uh, I had tied some of these into specific calendars and I, I redid this cause I added it later. So My bad. I don't know. It's a, it's not a big deal. In fact, maybe I didn't update this slide, but anyway, because I'm talking just about a particular approach to this, this was not necessarily developed by the rabbis, but uh, when we talk about the specific calendar, the Hillel two calendar, uh, that'll come into play. Um, this was likely not the method used by ancient Israel, at least until the Babylonian captivity. Probably. We don't know that for certain. This is just, that's an assumption on my part, but anyway. Um, and again, this other one, uh, yeah, we'll talk about that later on because that's specific to the Hillel uh, 2 calendar. Okay. First sliver of the new moon following the spring equinox. Um, again, uh, this this method uh, states that the Aviv begins on the first sliver of the renewed moon following the spring equinox. Um, again, this is also a calculated calendar. Um, may have some Babylon, uh, 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 pagan Babylonian origins. I'm not too big on these things because uh, with most of these where I'm, I'm going to mention perhaps some pagan origins, in um, many times you're going to find this when you're talking about pagan things. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Uh, for instance, a, a good example would be the rainbow. We know that the rainbow was originally used by Yahweh, but now it's been twisted and used for other purposes in our time. And this may be the case with some of these issues, even with the calendar, you know, which one was first? Was it pagan or was, did they steal it from the original creator's version? So not too big. I just throw that in there as something that I had found during my research. Okay. So first sliver of the new moon. Um, uh, this right one now is the one that our, our uh, congregation has been using over the past few years. Um, Again, it can be used anywhere in the world. Um, if you have internet or communications means, you can find this easily. You can also calculate it uh, if you have some rudimentary resources. Uh, and this one uses the, the sliver of the renewed moon rather than the conjunction. Um, again, uh, I did find indications that this was uh, uh, connected with the festival of Akitu, which is, was a Babylonian uh, uh, god. Um, this, this particular uh, type of calendar looks like it may have had some connection with the early adherence to the Seventh-day Adventist, which I found kind of intriguing because the seventh days to, of today, at least, don't seem to follow the feast. They follow the, the Seventh-day Sabbath, but... Uh, I attended them for a little bit uh, when I came out of uh, the traditional church. 
and but they don't recognize the feasts at least most of them today i mean they, they're more aware of them but they don't they don't follow them they follow the you know christmas easter paradigm um <clears throat> this one one of the problems i have personally with this one is this one may place passover several weeks late as it inserts an entire month plus after the spring equinox so this could have some issues uh in the in the reason that's such a big deal you know you might say well well charlie that that's not a big deal because even the bible says you can celebrate passover a month late and it does that's true the problem is is all the rest of the feast dates for the remaining feasts are keyed to the beginning of the month of Aviv. They all count from that. So if Passover is a month late, then that could make, you know, tabernacles and, and the other feasts a week late. Or I mean a month late. Um, and uh, again, this, this is a calculated calendar. May not have been the original one used. We don't know for sure, um, but uh, there's some indication that things changed after Babylonian captivity in the scriptures. Um, and I didn't find any historical use of this prior to the 1800s, um, excepting the you know the Babylonian things that I, I mentioned. Heliacal rising. This one is a little bit more complicated, and. Um, Man, I wish I I wish I was more of an astronomer because this one may actually be more helpful to me. But boy, this one gets deep and and uh, convoluted. But uh, but it is supported by the scriptures uh, because in Genesis one fourteen it talks about that the sun was given to us for determining days, the moon to determine months. Now that's not actually in Genesis one fourteen, but it can be derived from other scriptures and the stars determine the year. Now, yes. Wouldn't this also probably align with the agri agrarian calendar as well? The, the farming calendar as um, opposed to the equinox? Well, because <clears throat> what I'm, what I'm saying here is the biblical support for the sun takes care of the 24 hour period. The moon does the month and the stars do the years. Since you're not pegging that to the equinox, then you're looking for the Aviv separated from separate from this cycle per se. It, it, you know they're both floating floating time periods, kind of. This one here that you just showed is fixed in Scripture, Genesis one fourteen. The Aviv being floating, but they'll both work together, and they're both mentioned in Scripture. Right, and that, you and follow that, on what I'm saying? Right, right, and that I know, that, I, that know be, I know, I know. Like I said earlier, the approach could be that you use a combination of, of some okay. of these uh, things and that, that could be a, a, a way that they did it anciently. Uh, the second there, hour, I promise folks, will show why this is really important. The reason, the reason that um, many use the equinox is it's, it's fairly easy to calculate. Heliacal risings are, are a little bit more difficult unless you understand the constellations and the stars. Which the ancients but, did. But, the timing of heliacal rising and the equinox, they're within minutes of each other. They are very close to each other okay. mathematically. Okay. So, I mean, these these would be very close mathematically for calculating. So your calculations are going to be real, real close. All right. Thank you, sir. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, <clears throat> that's the way this gets, <laughs> this gets deep. Um, so this method uses the stars and constellations to determine the cycle of the year. The stars and constellations follow an annual cycle as they move throughout the sky, similar to, you know, uh, the, the other things we've talked about. This method is very accurate within a, a minute per year. Uh, it can be observed anywhere in the world, although, as I talked about the, uh, uh, for instance, the observing of the moon and things like that, uh, your, your time zone or where you're at uh, in the world will affect that slightly. Um, again, this one, again, may have some pagan roots tied to it. Uh, you know, you, you look at like the Chinese calendar that's tied to the zodiac and things like that. Uh, also, there may be possible ties to the Enoch calendar. So, you know, those are just some things that, that I found within my research. But um, this is a, a possible way of doing it. All right. Uh, Pros and cons, it's, again, very accurate, observable anywhere in the world. Uh, the con, you got you to gotta know your constellations. You got to know where they're at in the sky. You've got to keep track of this stuff. Um, but, you know, there were people doing this back then. You know, in Daniel, it talks about the Magi's and stuff and how they uh, would calculate this stuff. And, and then the uh, Magi's that came to Yeshua's birth, they were watching these stars and what was going on in the heavens. So they knew what was going on. They, they kept track of this stuff. Uh, it is slightly affected by the precession of the stars. Um, this is an astronomical phenomenon just because of the elliptical orbit of the sun, the earth, and the sun within our galaxy causes this precession of the of the stars and the constellations but it's very small this this only makes a difference about every century or so um so it's not too too big again i talked about the, the possible pagan roots uh tied to the zodiac uh i have found no historical use of this approach uh, except uh, a possibly some ties, like I said earlier, to the uh, Enochian calendar. All right, now we're going to talk about more specific calendars. We were talking about the different approaches to the intercalation and so on and so forth. Uh, but now we're going to talk about actual calendars that are out there today. Uh, there's four that, that I found in my research that are uh, in use at various ways. Uh, the Aviv calendar we talked about that's primarily advocated by the Karaites. Um, I call this Anthony's calendar because this is, uh, that was the, the equinox person our, calendar. Our, yeah, well, it's one of the equinox. This is the first liver of the uh, new moon following the spring equinox. Uh, that's the one our congregation is currently following. You've got the Hillel II calendar, which is the Jewish rabbinical calendar. This was created um, during the Babylonian captivity and, and so on because they were, did not have access to the land and they, they determined that. And then there's one that, that I found and, and you know, I gotta, I gotta pause here for a moment. You know, we, we try real hard here on this show to bring you the truth as best we can. And to make sure that when we're presenting information that we're letting you know that, yeah, this is, Yay, verily, this is right as best we can determine. And 
if it's not, like I said, you know, a lot of this stuff here, you know, I don't have good biblical support and I'm telling you my opinion. But with that said, one of the prayers that I continually pray to Yahweh is if I'm getting off the path, either to the right or to the left, smack me upside the head so that I get on the path and I'm on the right path. This happened to me as I was doing this investigation and research. I thought I had this presentation ready to go about a week ago, maybe two weeks ago. And Joe, that Professor Joe there you see on your screen, sent me an uh, email or text, I don't remember, I guess it was a text message. And he sent me a little short video. And I looked at that video and I go, oh, that's pretty cool. I like they summarized that. But it got me thinking, oh, they did some research on this calendar. And I was familiar with it. I'd looked at it many years ago, but hadn't looked at it for a while. So I'm like, let me go see what they did and just see if I can glean anything from it. Lo and behold, they solved some of the problems I had with the recommendations that I had originally put in my presentation. And so I had to go and update this and, and brought in some other things that I hadn't considered. And so Yahweh whacked me upside the head through Professor Joe. And so this presentation is much better than what it originally was. So spirit, hmm, hope so. That's what we're hoping here to do the best we can to do this. So we're going to be talking about a, a calendar that the 119 Ministries has uh, put together. And um, we'll see where we go with that. All right. The Aviv calendar. We're talking specifically about the calendar now. Uh, this calendar is subject to variation like we've talked about before because of the uh, subjective nature of the state of the uh, Vive barley. Um, and again, you know, the, the type of barley that's used it can be a, a, a subjective variation. Uh, and again, the quantity of, of the Aviv barley. Uh, this calendar makes pre-planning very difficult uh, for preparation for the feast because you have two weeks or less to prepare for Passover based on this approach. Uh, not that that's a bad thing necessarily, it's just part of how this works. It uh, requires people to physically search for barley in the land of Yisrael, and the results of the search must be transmitted quickly worldwide. Now, as we were talking about the variation, I'm, I'm gonna tell you, you know, I, I, like I said our, earlier, I used to follow this approach. But there were, I think it was two, maybe three years ago, that um, I, I followed the Aviv search reports and so on and so forth. Well, in that particular year, there was a problem with basically the one, you know, do we have enough Aviv? Uh, because they found some Aviv, but not a lot. And so the question was, did they find enough? And so they basically came to the conclusion, we're not really sure whether it's going to be this month or the following month. So you kind of decide. And I'm like, uh, hold on a second. That don't sound right to me. So um, that was uh, one that kind of uh, made me question the Aviv approach. Now this, uh, I don't like the name of this calendar, but I don't have another name for it. But uh, anyway, um, this you could call it sliver equinox yeah sliver yeah i could do that maybe i'll maybe i will make that change that's a good good change uh this calendar is currently in use uh, by our congregation um it can be calculated in advance like i said 
may have some pagan or origins, but this one may pa place Passover nearly a month late. And that's uh, one that uh, gives me some, some pause with this one, because I've seen the way this works in conjunction with some of the other calendars, and, and this, I think, could be problematic. The Hillel II calendar. This is one used by the uh, modern uh, Jews. It's a fully calculated calendar uh, based on roughly the first moon following the spring equinox. It uses the conjunction versus the first liver. So, you know, for those that follow the first liver, this could be problematic. Uh, it intercalates months in a predetermined fashion. It's not based on the actual lunar cycle. They actually have where they, you know, it's like three, five, seven, nine, or whatever. I don't remember the exact days, but I, it, if you look in my my notes, um, they have it. So they just do it on a on a predetermined basis. They they do do it seven times within the nineteen uh, year metonic cycle, but they just randomly selected these particular months to do the intercalation. Now another problem they have: the feast dates are further adjusted based on what's called a dechiot. These are four rabbinical rules for ensuring feast dates do not fall on certain inconvenient days. Uh, so what they do is they've got these rules that, you know, it's so that, you know, we, we don't want to be inconvenienced by having a weekly Shabbat directly followed by a high Sabbath of one of the feasts is basically kind of what that works. There, there's some other reasons why they do some of these things, but um, that's basically what what they're doing there. So they're they're messing with the dates. So that I find is is not really a good thing in my opinion. Okay, the 119 Ministries calendar. This again is a calculated calendar. It's very similar to the Hillel 2 calendar. It uses a conjunction um, and it's uh, the first uses the first full moon following the spring equinox. Uh, but it allows the lunar cycle to determine the intercalation of months. And I actually followed this uh, through an entire 19-year uh, metonic cycle to make sure that this actually did work correctly, and it does. Uh, and it does not include any of the dechiot or messing with the dates of the rabbis. So this one is the one that uh, you'll see that I uh, will give some recommendations here. but. Anyway, the end of this, the conclusion. Matthew 24, 36. This is a good scripture. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. We could probably do an entire uh, class just on that scripture. But uh, this is where I think I've come down that Yahweh has not not given us exact instructions for determining the months and years and, and all this that we've been talking about through this presentation. And I think this may be intentional. Because if Yahweh really, you know, said this is really super important to me, he would have given us explicit instructions. If you look at the creation, you know, the, the, the instructions for creating the tabernacle, the detail that he went into, what, what materials to use, you know, how many cubits this was and how this was put together, very, very detailed. 
So if he wanted to do that and it was important to him, he would have done it. Um, okay, and we, we talked earlier about, you know, we don't have the physical temple and, and the priesthood and such to, to do the feasts as they were originally given now. Um, so, but, but we've, we, we talked about this earlier. We fall under the new covenant. We, we believe the temple has migrated from that physical location to the hearts of the believers. Um, and so I believe that the feasts also have moved from more of a physical um, observance to more of a spiritual observance. Um, and so, you know, there, there's differences there. But here's the bottom line for me. Unity within the body is more important than when we observe the Feast of Yahweh. Um, and, you know, I, I'm going to give a recommendation later here, and that's going to be the recommendation I'm going to provide to my congregation. But if my congregation decides, no, we want to do it a little bit differently, we want to do it this way or that way, you know what? I'm going to go with the way the congregations. In fact, that's what I've done. I, I, like I said, I used to follow the Aviv calendar personally, but as, as a congregation, I still observe the, the feast with our congregation because unity is more important. And because we can't conclusively say which one of these count, it doesn't matter. Um, the observance of these feasts is, is not a salvific issue, at least not in my mind. If it were, um, Yahweh would have given us more than just scant biblical uh, information to, to guide us. So what we're left with is we're left with our own intellect and doing the best we can through faith in our Messiah to make the best decision we can. And that, that's, that's my position on this overall. So my recommendation, and this is something that's changed uh, from the little incident that I had here as I prepared this. And again, this is my personal recommendation. It's not binding on anyone. You know, this is just the way I see it from my research. Um, and like, like I said, I think this is intentionally veiled. So we have two issues to consider. You know, do we follow the new moon conjunction or the first liver? Again, I can show you biblical support both ways with this. So who knows which one is, is actually correct. Um, and then how do we determine the intercalation of, of months? And my opinion is, is that the 119 Ministries calendar, uh, it provides an accurate method for determining it. Uh, it begins the, the year closest to the spring equinox, but it's not encumbered by the rabbinic traditions where they mess with the, uh, the feast dates using the dachiot and we're, we're allowing the lunar cycle to determine the intercalation of the months rather than just some random uh, timing of intercalation. This calendar has flexibility if our congregation perhaps uh, decides, well, we don't like the conjunction idea. We're going to do first liver. We can still do it that way. Um, so it has some flexibility in that, in that light. Um, and like I was saying earlier, you know, it's important that we keep the feast, keep the spirit of the feast, is the way I put it here, uh, is more important than when we do it. Uh, like, again, going back, 
if Yahweh wanted to give us specific guidelines, he could have given it. Because he didn't, it's up to us to do the best we can. And unity is paramount with this. I can't stress that more than anything. So again, you know, if, if our elders and our congregation decide to do something different, uh, I'm fine with that. Hey, oh, I'm only six minutes over, so that's not bad. Oh, you're perfect, brother. So, so if they have questions, they can get them posted during the break. We'll... Yes, they can post questions during the break, and they can. Uh, it, I mean, if it's something detailed or whatever, you can also um, um, email Emails, them in. Yeah. We'll, Charlie uh, gets the emails too, guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. I see the emails as well. So, uh, uh, but anyway, that's uh, that's that. Uh, and uh, yeah, and when we come back from the break, we'll explain to you why the feasts are important. Yes, because they are. All right. Anything else? Well, you want me to show to throw us into break? I can do that. We'll see y'all in six minutes. All right.
we're back. Okay, real quick before we get going about the feasts themselves. One of the reasons that I think, and then I don't know how Charlie's gone into this or not. One of the reasons I think that Yahweh has intentionally concealed the, the, the timing of these things. If I have two fixed points in time, and I know that this date in history and this date in history were these things, you know, two things connected to scripture, like maybe say the Messiah's crucifixion. And I always know what day first of Aviv is. I very well could, given the prophetic nature of the feasts, I very well could tell you exactly within a 90 minute window when the Messiah returns, in which case prophecy would be broken. What do you mean, Joe? We'll show you. The prophetic nature of these feasts is very important. We we already have some of the things we need. The, the only reason we don't know exactly what day and what hour the Messiah was crucified on is because the four calendars the world use, uses right now, the Western world uses, don't line up correctly. Four calendars. Yeah, the Julian, the Gregorian, the Olympian calendar. Y'all didn't know about that one, I bet you. And the Hebrew calendar. They don't line up with each other as to the number of the year you're actually in. If we could align them, we could tell exactly when the Messiah was crucified. If we knew exactly when the Messiah was crucified, we'd know how to keep the first of Aviv. And I think that's why it's intentionally veiled. Yes. Not just from mankind, but there's maybe other spiritual entities. Yes. This is the same thing he's doing to Satan as he did with veiling the crucifixion in the Old Testament. All right. So. Charlie and I are going to just tag team you through the rest of this this today. I want to take you to the the Moedim. And Charlie, that's um there's I've seen it spelt many different ways, but in Hebrew it basically means what? The appointed times, the appointed set times, right? The appointed times, set times. There are seven feasts of the Lord. There's four in the spring, four in the fall. And it, it, not all of these memes are going to be perfect to the way I understand things, but I grabbed them off the internet because they were already made. Here's the important point. This is why this is important. Everybody will tell me we can do Christmas and Easter because that's for the Christians and the, these feasts are for the Jews. Oh, nay, nay. Leviticus 23, one through two. That's the section Charlie's already told you to use. It says, and the Lord Yahweh spake unto Moses, spoke to Moses saying, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, Concerning the feasts of Yahweh, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. They're Yahweh's. They're not Israel's. They're, they're not pagans. They're not Christian. They are Yahweh's feasts. And unless I'm remembering really badly, Charlie, doesn't he say you will keep these for all your generations? Yes, many times. Yes, all our generations. All generations, ha'olam, which is forever, basically, in Hebrew. So why and where did the traditional church get the idea to do away with these feasts? That's a different research. I, I, it's just, it's a rhetorical question here, but... No, it's not. Well, yeah, you're right. I'm trying to be gracious here, but why did we do this, Charlie? You've got a slide for that coming up. Yes, I know. Spoil it now. <laughs> <laughs> now, when Charlie, it, when these feasts were originally placed out in, in with Moses, they were looking forward. Well, Passover was looking backwards and forward. But this is Luke twenty two nineteen at the Last Supper, you know, the Lord's Supper, right? And he says, and when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is being given up for you to do this in remembrance of me. 
So we can look backwards on all the f- spring feasts now. And we, and for those of you who wonder, you know, I can just do the Lord's Supper whenever I want. Oh, nay, nay. That's a Passover meal. Yeah. If you doubt that, go back in our records, find the Worship Wednesday where I tackled that, and I used nothing but the scriptures to prove to you not only is it a Passover meal, but the crucifixion was on our Wednesday. And I came prepared to prove him wrong and didn't get a shot off. Because I used nothing but what? Scripture. It's there. If you lie all of, if you if you take all the passages dealing with the crucifixion, lay them down, and just start putting the pieces together, every piece you need to nail that down is right there. Three full days in the belly. Okay, I'm going to blow this up for us, Charlie. Let you walk us through this one, Charlie, because you're better at this. You'll you'll explain to us what each one of these little feasts is and how it relates to Yeshua's life in in his ministry here amongst us in church, you know, on, on earth rather in the flesh. Yeah, so, well, we begin, we begin with Passover. Perfect lamb, right? Passover lamb? Yes, perfect lamb. And, um, boy, yeah, you can, we, we could do. Well, just, just, on just these, as, but, as brief as you can, brother. <laughs> I mean, it, this, you know, the, the blood on the doorpost and the lentils is, you know, kind of. Uh, looking forward to the cross. Looking forward to the crucifixion of Messiah. And then. You move on to the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, part of uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is is you purge your house. In fact, it, it even says in the scriptures that Israel was to purge their entire land of leaven. Which there, is in symbolic of... no leaven in the land, which in this case, I believe, is symbolic of sin. So... Mm-hmm. You know, if, if we're looking at this from the spiritual aspect, you know, we, we need to take a good look at our lives and, and sweep out the sin from from our houses, our temples, uh, which is in our hearts, and, you know, and purify ourselves. And then the first fruits. Uh, oh, boy. This one, um, this one perhaps has fulfillment in, in the scriptures. This one's not as, as clear in the scriptures, but yes, go ahead. As I've understood the timing, the rabbis kept their own little small crop of, of barley close to the temple for this purpose. Yeah, I believe that's probably correct. And this is There's in conjunction with the wave offering. And yeah, it would yes, have been the that, first fruit of that barley crop. Yes. Wave offering. It was. It was a wave and off. from what I understand, that would have happened at the exact time the Messiah was coming out of the grave. And what does the scripture tell us he is? He's first fruit. First of the first fruit. Because from what I understand, this is, this is there's a three-day period there. I don't know that it would be the exact time he came out of the grave because it, my understanding, he came out of the grave uh, right around the end of the Shabbat. The weekly Shabbat that week. Yeah, see, that's the that's what I was thinking too. First but... fruits offering was the following day. Right. Um, so he I comes don't... out at the end of the weekly Shabbat, and the first fruit is the following day. There's right. that period of twilight. Yeah, there, there's where it's it, today and, and tomorrow are... at the same time. In the way the second temple. Right. And there are some that contend that when Miriam saw Yeshua at the tomb, and he said do not touch me because I have not yet ascended to the father. It was because he had to be cultically clean in order to uh, ascend to the father and present the first fruits. And in this case, there are 
uh, the scriptures do mention people that were resurrected and appeared to uh, people within Jerusalem and such that he brought actual individuals as the first fruit offering of his kingdom. Scripture does say he, the he, father. he rose with many, yes. took ma much so bounty. That's, that's what this first fruit. Uh, and he's uh, the first of the first fruit. Uh, festival yeah. or, so, or observances. Folks, this is, this is not, it's not trivial in our, in our salvation process. No, sorry, no, no, sorry, this sorry. is. Yeah. When, when, you know, I was talking earlier about, you know, the, the feast not being salvific. And, and that I was talking about our our observance or our memorialization of these feasts or not, but the feasts overall are salvific because they are showing the plan of Yahweh's kingdom for us. So they these are all symbols for us to look at and consider. So after the resurrection, the first fruit or whatever, we have the counting the Omar, right? The fifty yes. days. Oh, 50 days, 50. Hmm. Jubilee. That doesn't, that doesn't have anything to do Jubilee. with it, does it? Yes. <laughs> Jubilee. Um, and then the Feast of Pentecost. I mean, boy, there, there's a lot of scriptural evidence to support this, uh, you know, because uh, it is it is traditional belief uh, by the rabbis, I believe, that the day of Pentecost was actually the date that the Ten Commandments were verbally spoken to Israel from from Mount Sinai. Um, so, whether that's actually correct or not, don't know. But if you look at that story, it is pretty pretty close. Uh, yes, the Leviticus starts with the weekly Shabbat. Yes, that is one of his appointed times. The the pattern that Charlie and I were mentioning earlier. The do you have a weekly? feast to Yahweh called the Shabbat, the weekly Shabbat. You have a monthly feast in the new yep, moon, new moon right. and you have yearly feasts, which are the ones we were looking at right now. There's cycles and periods here, folks. Yes. In the 50 days, then, then you got Liberty because that's what the Jubilee is about. Well, the Pentecost right. is Liberty. Liberty, right. And the pouring out of the spirit on Pentecost yep. uh, talked about in, in uh, the new Testament. Um, and what's interesting there, there are parallels that people have made between the Pentecost of the New Testament and the giving of of the uh, uh, what we refer to as the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, because at Mount Sinai, what what did we have there? We had a mixed multitude. Yes. So we had people there that spoke multiple languages. Oh, that's true. A, a, quite. Yeah, possibly. there. I'd never seen that. There is and, great parallel there. In the New Testament, you had the. Uh, apostles preaching at the temple to a mixed multitude. There were people from all the nations gathering there from the and feast, Gentiles, and they all heard this word in their own language. And we assume that that also happened at Mount Sinai, perhaps. So there's direct parallels there. So there's there's some support for this hypothesis that, that it was given at Mount Sinai uh, at this time. So then we have our last three feasts. Yes, those ones you might have to help me more with because these <laughs> these feasts are yet to come, perhaps, um, or maybe not. Yeah, we'll have to see. Um, then we have the Feast of Trumpets, which is the feast that no man knows the day nor the hour because it is on the first month of this or, or the first day of the seventh month. Um, 
And so we don't know exactly when that's going to be because we don't. Yeah, there's a two day window there. Know. Yes. And so, you know, you could get into all sorts of discussions about this, you know, whether. And well, interestingly enough, calculate a conjunction or. That saying there for not knowing the day of the hour also applies to the wedding. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, the, these things, you, we, we could overlay the wedding onto in, the feasts. Onto the feasts very, yes, very we could. well. Yes. Uh, but yes. Uh, so that's, you know, and that, that could also be a parallel to that scripture that I used earlier in my presentation where it said that, you know, even the son didn't know only the father because in the typical wedding feast, the father's the one that tells the son, okay, it's time to go get your bride. Right. But now he this... doesn't know until his father says, go get your bride. But after the book of Revelation, the when, this, when the scroll was open, he does know now. And well, why yeah, is that? Yeah, because I mean, now I mean, the yes. bride, since the crucifixion yes. and all, the bride has been betrothed. Yes. So, you know, it, but those are just parallels. That yep. you can. And then see. it's also the Feast of Trumpets is parallel to the trumpets in the book of Revelation. It's yes. all dealing with the regathering yes. of Israel back to the land. And what are trumpets used for? Warning. And Warning. to call you. Call and you to the calling. temple. Yes. Calling you. Which is calling you, you back to Yah. Uh, they are also used for worship. Yes. So, you know, you've got all three of those that could. Here's that number three here. again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then Day of Atonement. Day of Atonement. This one. Now, according to the rabbis, this is the holiest day of their year. Uh, and this traditionally, uh, back when they had an operating temple, this was the day that atonement was given to the entire nation of Yisrael. So this is our uh, scapegoat, the Azazel goat. Yes, this is yeah. the scapegoat and, and the uh, sacrifice for, for atonement. Um, we're commanded on the Day of Atonement to afflict our souls. Uh, many equate that to fasting. Um, Which but, one of these is known by the, by the Orthodox Jews as the Days of Awe? Okay, Days of Awe are between <laughs> the Day of Trumpet and the Day of Atonement. They, okay, so it's all of that in there's between. Ten days of awe. Now that's a rabbinic tradition. Yeah, I know. I, I know, but I wouldn't understand, quite dismiss that one. I would not. That, yes, I was just going to say I would not totally dismiss that because there are some that you know, and this is where we could have some discussion because we don't know exactly how these feasts are going to play out. Uh, there are some that believe that Yeshua will, re will return on trumpets. And then the, the wrath is poured out upon the earth during the days of awe, and then the destruction of the wicked, well, or judgment, or whatever. We're told there's a battle that lasts. There, we're you know, told there's a battle so, that lasts about an hour or so. Yeah. So, and if you put that into day years, it comes out to about fourteen, you know, between ten and yeah, fourteen days, yeah, roughly, somewhere yeah. in that area. So, you know, there's there's things that you can look at there, but uh, we we don't know this for sure. These are. This is where we get into speculation because these are things yet future. These are these are prophecies that have not happened yet. So we don't know exactly how these things are going to play out uh, in in our you know and then physical realm. The next one is uh, where's Tabernacles at in this? That's the last one, isn't it? Tabernacles is the last one, at, and actually this one I don't like this one for because. Tabernacles is actually a seven-day feast. Yeah, they they've and then got it there's, as eight. There's an additional day, which is called in the scripture Shemini Atzeret, the last great. All right, day. I'll tell you what. Let's stick a pin day. in that. We'll we'll but, return to this at the last slide today because that's why I put that in there. Yeah, but Tabernacles, that's you know, 
they actually live in Suka temporary shelters during these seven yes. days. This is a remembrance of their wandering in the wilderness um, for 40 years and so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, we're going to return to this, Charlie. Yeah. That's so why I showed you that, that last one, slide. That's the part that's not in, but is yeah. in scripture. We'll yeah, get to that one, in a minute. Yeah, That one can get a little, this is just a, a, another one I threw up there for you just to see the thinking. This is seven days of creation aligned with the seven feasts and the seven things that are going on. The seven spirits of Yahweh at number seven everywhere. It, 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 re, it reverberates throughout scripture. Yes. And I think there is some connection between the, um, Days of creation in the, the days feast. of creation. Yeah, that slide the, will show you the that. Um, days of the earth, if you use the thousand year uh, paradigm. Yeah, you're getting into what I was talking about yeah, the th epochs. There, there are, you can lay that out and it shows the, the entire plan yes. of the kingdom. So, yeah, there is something there. This is where, this is when I understood the Moedim, the appointed times, the weekly Sabbath, the monthly Sabbaths, all, the, all of Yahweh's Sabbaths, Daniel 725. The wicked one shall speak great words against the most high. Let's stop right there. I went back last night and I reread that entire, I did the 2020, 20 verses before, 20 verses after. Everybody reads this as the Antichrist. This is a kingdom talking here. It's a kingdom that's been personified. And this is after we're told about the prince who is to come. This wicked one, who else is called the wicked one in scripture? And isn't he the dragon behind the seven-headed beast? Yeah. So he may well be the prince who is to come. He may also be known as Allah. But it says the wicked one. This is a spiritual being, folks. In the context of Daniel's passage, this is a spiritual being. And it says you'll speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, thinking to change times and laws. They shall be given into his hand to time, time, and the dividing of time times and laws, the Moedim and the Torah. Now, in this case, it doesn't say that in the original text here, but like like uh, Charlie pointed out, that's because this is written in Arabic or Aramaic. Um, don't forget, Daniel was in Babylon when he was writing this. So it, those two words for time and laws, the only plate with the pattern, the pattern fits. And what has been changed by both the Orthodox Jewish church and the Christians? The Jews changed the Torah with the Talmud, and as Charlie told you in the first hour, they like to change the times when they're inconvenient. Well, the Christian church has done the same thing. We threw the Torah away and the feasts away, changed the Sabbath, and started worshiping after pagan rituals with Christmas and Easter. So what spirit is behind us? Now, this is the next one where I was going to walk this one through with it. Charlie, you interrupt me if you think you need to here. I'm going to try and do this one. Passover, this is the crucifixion. This is part of the Messiah's uh, physical life on earth and in the flesh as a human. But let's start first all the way to the right. Tabernacles. That is when literally Elohim comes to dwell with us, live amongst us. This is like Charlie was pointing out. This is in the first chapter of John, right? And he came and dwelled amongst us. That's Emmanuel, right? He was probably born on the Feast of Tabernacles, 3 BC, when the sign of the Son of Man was in the sky for 90 minutes. We've covered that in the past, but he was probably born there. So then you go forward, he's on Passover. That's when he's crucified. He's crucified on Passover day. Then we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. 
This is his burial. Then we have first fruits. This is his resurrection. Then we have Pentecost. That's the Holy Spirit. And in between, we have the 50 days of the Jubilee. So you have seven and the 50-day Jubilee. You have the seven, seven Shemitah and the 50-day Jubilee in here too. All of this is bound up right there in those first four. This is the Messiah's, he's fulfilled these. But now if he's fulfilled everything, like everybody likes to believe, he fulfilled everything when he came and he goes crucified. Did he? Because he hasn't fulfilled trumpets or the day of atonement yet or the final tabernacles. Now, a lot of people think trumpets is the rapture. Maybe, maybe. I happen to think what that is, is the indwelling. That's the calling of Yahweh's people back to the Holy Lands and to himself. The prophets tell us there will be a second exodus. That this is the re, this is Ezekiel 37. It's also a warning to Yahweh's people to repent. That's what the day of atonement is all about. Now, the second coming will happen somewhere in between those two. I don't know where, but it'll happen there. And then after the wedding feast, you go into the millennial. So this is a case of he started with tabernacles and he ends with tabernacles. So if you throw the feasts out, you've thrown out the looking forward and remembrance of the Messiah's redeeming mission on earth. Because he has not fulfilled trumpets in the days of atonement or the final, final tabernacle yet. So how could he possibly, how can I possibly say he's fulfilled the law? He hasn't. He hasn't fulfilled the prophets. Which brings us to this. I told you we were going to talk about this. God's appointed times, Yahweh's appointed times, the Sabbath, the seventh day Sabbath, that's actually a feast, the Passover, unleavened bread, the days of first fruit, Shavuot, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. This is down here. This is B'nai Israel. Is that sons of Israel? Sure. Yes. Okay. So speak Israel. to the sons of Israel, all of those who wrestle with El. That's what Yisrael, El, El being Elohim. And tell them, these are the appointed Moedim of Adon, Adonai, of Yahweh, which you are to proclaim to be holy convocations. My, set appoint times, my Moedim. Yeah, now, let me just clarify something real quick here. Sure, please. Number six, it says Rosh Hashanah. Uh, yeah. That's what, that's what the the Orthodox Jews call Feast of Trumpets, and they that is their civil new year. So just, you know. Yeah, be careful. They're the changing thing, yeah. the law and the times. Now, this is not specifically in your Bible, but it is if you do any research into the religious beliefs of the entire ancient Near East Basin. You're going to find two things. Everybody thinks seven days. No, there's actually eight. You are in the seventh day, the day of rest. This is a complicated pattern that I have never fully gotten into my head. I'm aware of it. I've heard people, I've read the books that explain it to me. I'm not fully, I, I should go back and reread them now because it's been years, but I'm not fully Middle Eastern thinking in my mind yet. I have the Sabbath and then I have the, Set that aside. Now I have Passover, unleavened bread, days of fruit. There, there's seven days of, of the Lord's feast. It mirrors the seven days of the week. But the first, the Sabbath is part of that. That would be the seventh day. This isn't specifically connected to the feast. The feasts are overlaid on this pattern. What you have is seven days of creation. And on the seventh day, the Lord rests, right? He doesn't do any work. Not really. Not, not quite the case. He's working. He's still doing his work. What it is, is he's not creating. He's quit creating. 
and now he's reigning from his throne. So what's the eighth day? The eighth day is when all of the falls, you know, the, the fall at, at, at the Garden of Eden, the fall at uh, the Tower of Babel, the fall in Genesis 6 with the with the Elohim and all this mess, all of these, these, these three different falls, not the Elohim, the Nephilim, but there are three different falls. All of them are reversed. This is what uh, Dr. Heiser's book, Reversing Hermon, will explain to you. When it's all reversed and the earth is made anew, you go into the eighth day, which is eternity. That pattern is throughout the entire Middle East. The Egyptians understood it, the Babylonians, the Syrians, everybody understands this back in their day. They all have their own way of doing it. But your feasts and your Sabbaths are overlaid on this because this is what a lot of, of Christians don't understand because we're never taught this. Feasts are also Sabbaths, aren't they, Charlie? Yes. And how is it that well, we... Some of them. Anyway. Well, some of them. There are three Sabbaths. Yes. That are We're told these are holy days of convocation. And we're supposed to gather together and we don't work. Right. Correct? So if you're keeping Sabbath on Sunday, when are you keeping those other three Sabbaths? <laughs> yeah. Huh? Because those are commanded. <clears throat> and if you more than three, actually, if yeah. you talked in the feasters. So I, 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 I get it. I get it. I, I know that we've been raised up and we've been taught one way. But that's not what the scriptures tell us. And it gets even more complicated if I am correct in that Zechariah is the prophet to the church age. Well, he's talking about keeping the feasts during the millennial reign. And I know a lot of people think, well, no, that's after the second coming. There are some huge problems with that understanding. Namely, you got to twice crucify Christ. What? Well, yeah. Satan has to, it, that understanding, Satan has to be defeated a second time, which means you need a second crucifixion. That's not going to happen. We're not going to twice crucify Christ. So Zechariah only makes sense if he's talking to the millennial reign, and the millennial reign had to have been from the ascension to the, to the start of the end times. And if that's the case, they're keeping the feasts. And then if you read Isaiah, and, and I think it's uh, Ezekiel, they're talking about, keeping the feasts in the millennial reign too in those two prophets. So once, huh? The feasts aren't going to be necessary in the forever and ever, except as a remembrance. Right now, we're still looking forward to the fall feasts because that hasn't happened for us yet. So there are some serious things going on here that believers need to wrestle with. What you decide to do for you and your world, that's up to you. But I want you to wrestle with it first. Charlie, you, I'm, I'm going to share the books with him in a minute here, but do you have anything you want to add in on this or no, explain I mean, that, I'm missing something? That's it. I mean, it. this was a, this is a big deal for me as I was coming out of the traditional church, you know. And I've probably mentioned this before on here, but, you know, before Christmas was my favorite holiday and, and you know, and, and I'd go all out and all sorts of stuff. But then as I understood what the, real appointed times were and the real uh feasts and stuff you know i, I had to make some changes and mm -hmm. and you know and we we don't have a lot of guidance like we were talking about you know during the first hour there's not a lot of guidance on how we actually do some of these things um yahweh seems to have given us 
a little bit of leeway here. He, he has, and and um, that's good. But the fact remains is that if we want to be uh, part of his kingdom and in the and we want the blessings connected with these feasts, we need to memorialize them at least as best we can. Well, he did say to at least keep Passover as a remembrance. Do this in yes. remembrance of yes. me. So, I mean, we if we're doing these things because it it says uh i believe it was uh um in zechariah you know and this was talking about nations but i think to a certain degree it it can apply even to us as individuals that if if we're not keeping the feasts there will be no rain yes uh so in and rain is blessings from a prophetic yeah that's what i was going to say from a prophetic perspective that's blessings so if you're not keeping these feasts, you are not getting some of the blessings that you could be. Well, you might also call you, fire down on yourself. Well, yeah, there's, yeah. And that's <laughs> condemnation that and wrath. Too, but that's, so those are things that we need to, to look at. And, and the feasts are designed to be, um, to be done as a, an assembly, as a congregation. So, you know, I was talking earlier. Or we can know, over, like you said earlier, we can overlay the wedding ceremony and the feast and the right. party right over top of this. Yes. And so that's why, you know, I was, you know, trying to emphasize as much as I could that unity of the body is so important to this topic because, yeah, you can try to keep these feasts on your own and say, okay, well, I believe that, you know, Day of Trumpets is going to be on the, 13th of this month and not the 14th and blah, blah, blah. So I'm going to do that. Um, but then again, you're commanded to gather together to do these things. So, so pick a congregation closest you know, to the one you like. Yes. So uh, it's like I was saying, it's more important that we are unified and meet together for these things. Um, well, it's like Julie told us the other day, yeah. a body divided. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, we need to be unified as best we can. Um, and I think we'll be blessed for that, you know, regardless of whether we get it exactly right or not. I mean, and the Masonic community needs to hear you loud and clear, brother. Yeah, they do. Do this not is, separate this is over this. Such a division within the body. It 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 just find the congregation that you want and go there. Because I, I've I've tried to bring this topic up to, you know, some of the groups that have you know that they hold to a specific uh, calendar, even bringing up an opposing view they want to shut you down and cancel you i mean it, it that shouldn't be that way let me throw something over here on the comment section oh, for yeah. you so i can throw right. it up yeah i just saw that too but i was i'll let you answer it jaws. once i get it up <laughs> here you go you can tackle that one yeah <laughs> exactly that's it well road dog you got to read it road dogs don't forget yes, podcast so road dog 71 says so the feast is is the feasts are not just for the Jews or the Hebrews? They're for all of us. That's correct. I mean, it goes back to the the scripture that you uh, brought up at the beginning of this hour that these are Yahweh's feasts, and if you claim to worship Yahweh, guess what? You better be keeping the feasts that He says are His. Let me let me address this real quick, Charlie. And I mean, correct me if you think I'm wrong, but folks. You've got to get this Gentile and Hebrew out of your head. Paul clearly tells you, you right. are grafted in. Yes. To what? To the family. 
There is nowhere in scripture that says I'm going to start a second church. You are part of his family. You, we are all part of Israel. Yes, Gentile in origin, but once you're born again and grafted in, you are now part of Israel. You wrestle with Elohim. You wrestle with Yahweh to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, reverence in, of, of Yahweh, what reverent he, fear. What does Hebrew mean? And in, in Crossed Hebrew? over. Right. So once you accept that Yahweh is Yahweh and born again. Yeshua is, is his son and you are born again, you're crossed over, you are no longer a Gentile, you are a Hebrew. The first converts to the Messiah, it, it, we'll call them converts, I'll use this language, it's not really what's going on, but the first disciples of the Messiah were, what house did they belong to, Charlie? Uh, Judah or some Benjamin. Yeah, they belong to the house of the Judah. The house of Judah. Were they not still called Jews? Yes. Well, why are Christians not called Jews? <laughs> you see, but Paul told you not to do that. Paul told you yeah. not to become out of the house of Judah. Right. And this is where people get confused. The reason Paul told you not to convert to the house of Judah is because he knew you were grafting into the house of Israel. Right. So if you're grafted into the house of Israel, are you not a Hebrew now? You have crossed over. You've been born again. This is one of the hardest things that it had to get through my head early on, and it is one of the most insidious teachings in the in the traditional church right now is that your no, Gentile is separate from Hebrew. Yeah. No. No. It's not what's taught in Scripture. Yes, Natasha? Um, just a quick comment slash question. Couldn't, couldn't it work the other way too? Like we're – like say – I'm sorry, I just lost words. <laughs> um, <clears throat> like where we say, you know, gen or quote, Gentiles don't become Jews, we're Hebrews. Couldn't also, like, that's why we shouldn't be like saying Jews don't become Jews, but maybe Christians, for lack of a better term, or that they don't stop being Jewish. See, that separates the body. When we think in terms of Jew and Christian, we leave right. the second house out. We leave the divorced bride out, which is now betrothed to the Messiah. We leave out the house of Israel. And this is why this is why our classes build on each other, folks. If you don't understand about the inheritance in the house of Israel, this doesn't make sense. Right. And not a perfect vice versa picture, but I mean, I'm no, I not get it. And it's it's hatred of the Jews that separated the what came to become Christians because it was, you know, the Jews crucified our Messiah. Well, he's their Messiah too. Right. I'll talk to you about that later. We'll, we, we'll anyway, work on that. I'll see if right, I can that help was you a with random that. Thought. Oh, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. All right, real quick before we, before we let time get away from us too fast, um, if you go to your homework, theroadtoconcord.com, Charlie, I'll let you be Charlie for a few minutes. You're going to find that I've given you a couple of links to some books. This one's just a little pamphlet. You can get it on Amazon, and it's it's really good. This is this is the down and dirty of the feasts for a belief for a Christian for a traditional church, but it goes over the feasts of the Bible. And I mean, it, this is the cliff notes, but Jewish feasts and holidays explains them, facts about them, Yeshua's ministry, and his and all of that right here in a nutshell. You'll also find a link to this little book about a Christian guide to the biblical feasts. And this one's small, easy, quick read. Th these are both just a couple dollars on Amazon. I've linked you to them in the show notes. 
This one's a bigger book. This one is, you know, Jesus, the Yeshua in the biblical feasts. This goes through in great detail. Um, I lent this to a Mormon classmate of yours, and it caused him some trouble because <laughs> he was forced to f face up to the scriptures and what they say about the feasts in relation to the things we're talking about today. You'll get linked to this. Uh, this is the book, The Feasts of the Lord, and it's, it's Yahweh's prophetic calendar from Calvary to the kingdom. And it shows you a little bit more of the prophecy. I'm not as happy with this book, but it'll get you thinking in that direction. But if you can afford it, one of the best ones I can recommend to you, this is Rose's Guide to the Feasts, Festivals, and Fasts of the Bible. And it'll teach you about the, the feasts and the festivals, the fasts, all of that stuff, as well as the culture, Old and New Testament. It, it shows you the practices in both testaments. So this is not a new idea. The, the importance of the feasts is not new. The, the church has known this for a while. And I got both of these about the Messiah, the Messiah in the Pen Passover and Christ in, in Pentecost. These came from Jews for Jesus. That's an Masonic group that operates mostly in Israel and the Ukraine, um, ministering to the, the Jewish community in those two places. They're worldwide, but I've got those books from them when they came to our, our church and we did a Passover meal there and they explained all of that. They explained the, the Orthodox Jewish traditions with Passover and the unleavened bread that they eat is actually, I don't know that the Jews have realized this, but if you buy the bread that's been made for them specifically, it's kind of like a cracker. It's pierced in the shape of a cross. Kind of weird. Uh, it's to help it cook, but the way they've done it, and the Jews for Jesus, Jesus explained all of that. Um, the whole point here, though, is that the feasts, these are the Moedim. That's the important part to me. These are the set-apart times. These are Yahweh's Moedim. We read both passages to you. Yahweh's Moedim, his set-apart times, Yahweh's feasts, his feasts, not Israel's, not Christians, not Hebrews, Yahweh's, God's. And he says they are to be kept as a memorial or to look forward, whatever. They are to be kept for all of our generations forever. We'll probably be doing this into eternity as well. Where in the scripture were we authorized to do away with them? Where? You will not find that passage. So why does the church ignore them? I don't have the answer, except that maybe, maybe you're starting to understand why I tell you that my understanding of the beast that comes up out of the ground that speaks like a lamb or looks like a lamb, rather two horns like a lamb, but speaks like the dragon is the apostate Christian church. The Jews don't look like a lamb. They don't recognize the Messiah yet. One horn bigger than the other, Catholicism over Protestantism looks like the Messiah, teaches people to follow Satan. It'll stand in the presence of the beast, the beast that bits blasphemies, you know, utters blasphemies, wears out the people of, of the saints, you know, the, the beast of Daniel that we just read. The two-horned beast, the church, stands in the presence of the satanic kingdoms and causes people to worship the beast in the name of Christ. Now, if you don't understand that that's exactly how you should expect Satan to work, I don't know how to help you with that. 
But if you're not looking for that, you won't see it. If I spiritually red pill you, and you start looking for what I just explained, you'll find it everywhere. Charlie, you got anything left for us? Well, um, Road Dog had. Yeah, I know you were busy. I caught you flat-footed there. You were busy. But it's it's okay. But I just wanted to mention, you know. Yes, this this can be a a big change for you from what you've traditionally grown up with. But I'll tell you, you know, uh, these are these are times that are set aside. You know, some of them are more solemn than others, but some of them are just simply a time to get together and party. They actually tell us to party with, with each other. I mean, it's, it's, you know, what a great God we have that sets aside time for us to just party and, you know, have fun with our friends and, and, you know, things like that. Uh, you know, some of them, of course, are more solemn, like the day of atonement. Um, but, uh, but these, these are important, uh, to us and to Yahweh, so uh, that uh, uh, uh oh, do we have a problem with audio? Anyway, I'll let you work on that for a second. But uh, yeah, these are great, and I, I told Road Dog also because he had some questions about you know I think more specific applications of what he was getting to. As we get closer to these feasts in the spring and in the fall, uh, I'm sure that we'll put together some shows that go into a little bit more detail on each of the feasts and, and, you know, at least what we think is some things that we can do to observe these things and, and, you know, what the uh, symbolic meaning of them is and why we have them and those kinds of things. Hey, it's an excuse to go camping detail. every fall. Yeah. Together. Yeah. What? Tabernacles, I, man. I prefer, Come on. I prefer to glamp rather than camp. But anyway. Hey, you're I'm supposed to old. be making temporary booths, not travel trailers. <laughs> travel trailers yeah. temporary. Travel oh, trailer is temporary. The, the, the furry's trying to jump in there. What'd you say? <coughs> Yuppie. <coughs> We're oh, yuppie. I'm sorry. Did I did I am I on? I think oh, she's I'm trying to tell sorry. us to move along, move along. <laughs> All right, folks. If there's not any other questions on the board, we'll wrap this one up. Um, this is a subject that I'm not, we're not telling you, you oh, need to start yeah, keeping the feasts. We're suggesting that you wrestle with it. You and the, you and the Holy spirit wrestle with this one. Um, and we hope, we hope you'll eventually arrive at the same conclusion we have. Uh, I mean, Charlie's much stronger and much and more advanced than I am. That's okay. Here. Yeah, that's it. But uh, if before you go keeping Christmas and Easter, yeah, I, but yeah. please dive into those I, real I, good. I, I do at least recommend that you check out these feasts and at least start looking at them and saying maybe I should at least you know yeah try to do something with these things. L look, look at this. Just look at the whole issue. I guess what it comes down to is. Base your faith on the scriptures, not the teachings of men. Yes. Please. And understand that the Holy Spirit will never tell you to do anything that goes against the written word, ever. Because if he does, then that spirit is telling you to go against Yahweh's word. And Yahweh does not contradict himself. So I guess that's what we're after.
We're trying to share with you what we've learned. And like I said, Charlie's stronger in this area than I am, and I know it. I defer to him here. He's my teacher in this area. Um, but I'm learning. I tend to throw flies in the ointment and monkey wrenches into the system, but <laughs> that's okay. I add question. I ask questions that, but yeah, we learn that way. So if we don't have anything else, we'll wrap this for the day. We thank each and every one of y'all for being here. We do appreciate you a lot. We love you. Yeah, we do. Agape and feel like brothers and sisters. Um, if we're doing anything that benefits you, two things I want to ask you first. Well, if you haven't already subscribed, at least try to set up a Rumble account, subscribe to Rumble and to the blog page. That way we'll always be able to get a hold of you. And if you want to share this with somebody, send them a link to a show, a specific show, ask them to watch the whole show and tell them that the shows build on each other and then prepare them however you want. I mean, I know that I'm kind of dry and dull and boring sometimes and take too long to say what I'm going to say. And Charlie's funny about things. He's, he's the wit and the soul and the humor in the class. That's why, you know, he's got the wires in his hand. That's what happens when you're a producer, you get picked on. And then don't forget, you know, warn them about our AI that thinks she's a furry. I don't know how the heck Charlie programmed that, that girl, but anyway, just tell people however you need to explain us. Tell them to give us a chance. It's about what we're trying to help you with, help you learn, understand, show you. Also, um, don't forget to hit the thumbs up or the like buttons. I don't care about how the rest of the world uses those. I want you to do that so that you show Charlie and Natasha that you appreciate them because this is a labor of love for both of them. Nobody's making any money off of this. Nope. We're almost, almost where we're self-sufficient. A couple more of the classmates sign up for that $5 a month coffee and we're going to be there. We're going to make it. Yeah, we'll take care of it. So then after that, maybe we can start putting some money in the gas tanks because <laughs> we both drive a long way to get to the studio. But I hope, my prayer, is that if nothing else on Wednesdays, we encourage you to dig yourself into your scriptures for yourself. Dig in like a tick. Wrestle with Yahweh. Grab hold of him and demand that he show you his truth. He will, as long as you do it reverently. Don't act like a spoiled little child like I usually do. When you do that, he tends to smack you. And you deserve it. Otherwise, tomorrow is Conspiracy Theory Thursday. What I was going to do, I kind of brushed aside. I want to do something just kind of lighthearted. We're going to look at some of the conspiracy theories floating around the Clintons. <laughs> that ought to be fun. <sighs> Charlie, we better be careful of what format we throw that show to. Yeah. <laughs> we, we haven't got a strike from Facebook yet. No, but we, we might. Well, we might one. also. <sighs> Folks, you have to understand. We definitely won't be on YouTube for that. If you talk about the Clintons, you're the radio star and Bill and Hillary are video. Y'all get the reference? Video kill the radio star. Did I say that? 
<laughs> All right. We'll see y'all tomorrow. Y'all stay safe. Take care of yourselves. God bless. Thanks for being here. Bye-bye.